0: I was just overwhelmed with being online all the time. And I just needed to do something with my hands and just be a bit more grounded. I have become increasingly fine-tuned to how I'm feeling and knowing when I'm feeling really scattered, and I've just got to do something about it. Just applying my mind to the physical universe.
1: Welcome to the Digital Habit Lab from Mind Over Tech, a place where we explore our relationship with technology. I'm your host, Menka Sangvi. In each episode, I'll be joined by guests from different walks of life as we observe how we use tech, reflect on how it sometimes uses us, and experiment with ways to make sure it is actually helping us to do what we value most in life. Each season of our podcast focuses on a theme, and this one is about intention. We're asking questions like, what is intention? What does it feel like to be intentional? And why is it so important to the way we use technology? Today I'm really excited to share with you a conversation I had with John Paul Flintoff. He's the author of six books that have been translated into 16 languages. These books include How to Change the World, and most recently, a modest book about how to make an adequate speech. He used to work for 15 years as a journalist for the Financial Times, the Sunday Times, and other papers and magazines too. In addition to being a writer though, he's also a performer and an artist. I remember the first time I met him actually, he was teaching an improv workshop at the School of Life in London. And so, I find it hard to sum him up. For a while now, I've been following his work through his newsletter. And what I've noticed, and the main reason I wanted to speak to him, is that he's amazingly thoughtful about his tools and mediums and platforms. In this conversation coming up, we explore some of his thinking behind those decisions. We talk about how he grounds himself, how he creates the conditions for his creativity, and also how he stays so playful with it all. Can I call you JP? Yeah. I know you go by both. Is that is that... A...
0: JP okay. is, is an invention for typing on an iPhone.
1: Ah, okay.
0: <laughs> there you go. It's a tech thing.
1: It's your tech name. Yeah. So big welcome, JP. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. And... I'm really pleased to be here.
1: Great. So I'm going to kick off with some quick fire questions. I'm just going to ask you to give your gut reaction to these questions.
0: Great. I love that sort of thing.
1: When I say the word intention, what does that bring up for you? An arrow. What do you recognize in yourself when you're not being intentional? What are your warning signs that makes you think, right, I need to do something different now?
0: I get uh, a sort of a, a... it's not quite dizziness it's a it's a sense of free floating and slightly um, disembodied and frenetic quality and a sense of urgency and impatience which is always a big sign and that I'm not there yet in some way that whatever the there is and the there is here I'm I'm not here yet and So catching that, I think it's probably a lifetime's work, but I'm a lot better than than I ever was in the past at knowing when I need to stop that.
1: So when this happens, what's one thing that you found useful to realign yourself, get back on track?
0: One of the ways in which that manifests itself, perhaps for me as a personality type, or perhaps because of a lifetime of being a writer, is that the frenetic thing can become really verbal and very in my head. So I try to be non-verbal. I try to do something with my hands. I try to be very present. I could do press-ups, which is one way. I could do a drawing, which is something that I love to do to ground myself. Essentially, anything where I'm absolutely applying myself to the physical universe.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. What's your weakest link when it comes to an app or a service or, or hardware, which sucks you in every time?
0: Hmm. I suppose it's uh, it, it's it's tempting to want to name one particular product or company. Hmm. It's really anything with an infinite scroll of news from who knows where. I am a big fan of this thing, which I mentioned to you outside this interview, Feedly, which is relatively new to me. And it's a way to uh, curate longer reads from all over the place, which I would miss if I had to go to people's websites or read their newsletters, because often newsletters are filtered by cheeky old Google.
1: So diving deeper into your world of decision making a little bit more now. Let's start with a blog post that I'd read on your website called Adventures in Syndication. Oh, yeah. And in it, you explained your frustration with Facebook and Google and others trying to control what reaches you and what
0: doesn't. But the trouble with social media is you can't be absolutely sure that you will see all the things by the people who you have chosen to follow. And of course, you probably couldn't, even if you wanted to. But there is the possibility of looking for the things which I suppose people have decided are more enduring, more worth keeping and saving, which they've posted onto their website or into a newsletter. And so I decided that rather than attempt to keep up with someone's content on social media, I would do something else. And I kept looking around. And I remembered years and years ago when my website was first set up, which is about 20 years ago, there was this thing called RSS and I didn't know what it meant. and No one really explained it to me, so I just ignored it. And then I remembered that and I saw someone talking about this thing called Feedly And I'm quite averse to being told about yet another app. But I went and had a look and I signed up for various website RSS feeds. Now that sounds so unappealing. Like, What the heck is signing up for an RSS feed? It really just means that automatically, whenever those places post something, it comes through to Feedly on my iPad. Hmm. I won't miss it. It will be there.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to hear about the effort that you made to find an alternative and that such things exist. I guess more and more people are having the same frustration. Yes. Next, I want to ask you about newsletters. As you know, I'm taking part in your newsletter challenge right now. Yes. It's basically a challenge that you issued to do a month of daily letters to get into the flow of writing. And I'm doing mine on mindful photography, which is a passion of mine. And even though I love it, I've got to say it's pretty hard work to sustain that daily rhythm. So in going back to digital tools I know you decided to switch tools for doing this kind of work and I'm curious why
0: So I decided for the newsletter challenge to switch away from Mailchimp which I've used for years because I just have this permanent feeling of discomfort around Mailchimp even logging into the the back office of it makes me feel a bit depressed and I really was I've just constantly thought about, like, why is that? Why is it so dreadful? It is actually dreadful. I think that is the word. I mean, that's the word that came to mind. And why would I mind? Because I just want to share things that people are often quite pleasant about and everything. And I, for a long time, I thought it was just some um, under the surface dread that everyone's going to unsubscribe. And now that is for certain there a bit. But I think that's partly what the dread is, is that Mailchimp seems to be engineered in such a way to make you think you're doing something wrong all the time. Even when you, when I, I don't know if anyone listening to this will, will have the experience of writing these things, but if you go into Mailchimp, it sort of tells you to think about which section of your readers are you going to really knock the socks off, and have you thought about doing a, a, even the line, the subject line, have you thought about making it better? Have you thought about putting in one emoji, but not more than one, because People don't tend to like that. I was like, oh, no, leave me alone. Get on my back. And so I I just happened to be, thanks to Feedly, reading various people's newsletters. And a a thing came up quite a few times called Button Down. I thought, I never heard of that before. Never seen that before. So I followed it up. It's a fairly small enterprise because it seems to be genuinely run by one man called Justin who does all the support and I have had some nice exchanges with him. Anyway, the thing is that it is set out in a way that is simple and that doesn't try to prompt you to be better, prompt you to second guess what everyone wants all the time. It doesn't tell you that this one is more likely to get you more buyers or this one is more likely to get more people to attend your event. It's just a writing space. And I love that, it's such a relief. It feels like the right place to tell stories and to write newsletters. And as a journalist, I worked on newspapers and I'm used to this idea that you publish something. And of course, you want your readership figures to go up. And of course, you want people to enjoy the story. And of course, you want them to read it all the way to the end. But you don't spend the whole time measuring every engagement with every word. and It's just oh, too much.
1: So what I find amazing is your level of self-awareness about how you actually feel when you're using a certain tool or platform understanding the discomfort where it's actually coming from and then seeing if there's an alternative not everybody does that you know I mean I use MailChimp and I'm sort of fine with it <laughs> but to be honest I never really thought about it until until I heard you talk about it
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I'm immensely grateful to MailChimp and they've created this thing that I've used and benefited from and it's not like I'm against that but I don't want them always to be asking if I'm going to do A-B testing am I going to Am I going to check goals and track blah, blah, blah? No, too much. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so let's take another choice that you've made, which I know of, which is that you use your iPad for artwork. So what was your motivation behind that choice?
0: Yes. So I, I really love analogue art work. I like making a mess. I like the whole mud pies quality of art. I like making things with papier-mâché. I like oil paint, which takes a week or two to dry. I love all of that analog stuff. I love it, I love it, I love it. But the downside of it is I live in a London home. We don't have infinite space. I don't have my own art studio. If I paint in here, then the oil painting is going to be occupying a lot of space for a certain amount of time. And um, space is a real issue, and the one great Benefit of an iPad is that space appears to be infinite, so I can do a drawing and I can do it anywhere. I I frequently draw while I'm watching TV in the evening. I draw people on news night. I draw people on line of duty. I draw the flowers on the table behind the TV. I draw things that are in my imagination. I just love drawing. It really feels good. I always feel good when I'm drawing, and it really grounds me. So. The iPad with the the iPad pencil is like a new form of heaven that I didn't even know existed.
1: <laughs> yeah. And with this infinite space, you can draw so much more. You are yeah. doing so much more. Is it just about uh, quantity or has it had an impact on the type of thing you're doing as well?
0: Yes. Brilliant. Love that question because it gets into the nitty-gritty of the technology of the artwork and... This app called Procreate was so overwhelming when I got it because it gives you so many different options. And I said, I can't, I'm I'm never going to get the hang of this. So I started by being really simple. It gives you, for example, the the brush pen thing can be just an ink pen or a pencil. So for a while, I just drew with a pencil on a white page, as it were. And that felt very simple and straight, you know, I can do that. Then I introduced the idea of flooding the whole screen with a color and rubbing out that color. Okay, you might do that. Then if you draw a certain shape and it encloses a space, then you can just drop color into that. Okay, and I started experimenting with different brushes. And then I started doing brushes with different layers of transparency. So the, the beautiful thing that you can do with oil paints is layering colors on top of each other you have you can have a warm effect if you have red behind the the blue sky it just bright it warms it all up so i started playing around with the layers you can have something like 25 layers how cool is that and you can move around the different bits of it and you can animate a still drawing i mean these are just so exciting to try to do those things and and to play with the color wheel instead of you know Oil paint is not very expensive, but it's somewhat expensive if you use good ones. And if you mix the colours inefficiently or or badly, if not concentrating, you get the wrong colour. This thing, I can just go back and choose the colour I do want. (laughs) That
1: one. (laughs) Yeah. So going digital has got you using your hands a lot more, which, as you say, grounds you. But do you ever miss holding your physical artwork?
0: I mean, I I think this is probably something I haven't really examined, but there's also something about the cheapness of digital. It also backfires, because I know that people want to get a real thing, like a painting or a real thing that you really did. And digital, is that a real thing? You can print gazillions of them. And, yeah, Hockney used to email everybody with his original art. So that's an interesting thing, too. Like, does it count?
1: Okay, so... Behind you, I think I can see a piece of art which looks like you might have made it on the iPad and then printed it
0: out. This one here, I printed because I, I really liked it digitally. And then I thought, but that's just not enough. Like I want to have a print. I want it. I want the thing. And there it is, and I can look at it whenever I like. It's a very different experience.
1: Let's look at another area, which is we've mostly been talking about digital tools. And what I want to know is, do you sometimes take things in the opposite direction, in an analogue direction?
0: Yeah, I absolutely do. One of the things that I really, really do um, when I'm feeling massively scattered from being too digital is get ridiculously analogue. And so I might make... Like this is a, a book that I made out of some letters that I received.
1: Letters that you printed out or letters that were you received in, in, in paper in the first place?
0: Well, they were digital letters. And I got these things which I tend to think of as hate mail, but I probably shouldn't, from HM Revenue and Customs. And this was during <laughs> the, the awkwardness of the pandemic. And um, I didn't qualify for the self-employment support. So I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do? And they sent me this letter telling me why I hadn't. And so I just, I don't know if you can see, but I, I cut up the letter and just stuck the little bits of it all over the place into different places. Um, so it's all fairly straightforward. Dear Mr Flintoff, self-employment income support scheme, and so on, it goes on. And then if I fold, if I go towards the end, I thought I would, um, I thought I would try to make the layout, because I did the cut and paste in such a way that it... Um, it lies awkwardly on the page. So I don't know if you can see there. The words really collapse down onto the bottom as if they've fallen. So that last bit says, if you need extra support, go to gov.uk, blah, blah, blah. For example, if you have a disability, mental health issue, and that bit's all wonky, or do not speak, and then English is upside down. So I just wanted to, to muck about with their words so that it's all on my terms. I own it. It's like I've got a tiny bit more control. It's like me shouting at the men. That's the kind of the idea. <laughs> I, I you, you can't beat me, that sort of thing. It amused me. It, it just amused me, and that's just enough to take away the, the feeling of frustration, even if only momentarily. Really.
1: Can you say something more about books, and making books, and why that's so important to you?
0: I've made a lot of different um books in my life i'm a huge fan of handmade books i've made all sorts of different formats and one of my favorites is because if you think about the history of books what we what we think of as books is called the codex with the pages which turn and that probably came from a great big long scroll which was folded into a concertina so that you could flop into it it was one sheet probably this is what we think happened and before anyone had the idea of folding it into a concertina, you just had scrolls. So in the yeah, in the biblical tradition, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls are just a lot of scrolls. The Bible was not a book. It was a lot of scrolls to be read in whichever order you like. So there's something interesting about that, too. One of the things I did last year when we were also very, very much operating from space stations in the year of pandemic, and it's like everyone is back on Earth somewhere and we're not I, I ran a workshop and it had um, it had these individuals in it. and th- this is a screen grab that i that I took of them because I wanted to remember their names and and they are uh, people broadly of the same gender, age, race, and I wanted to be able to say I know who they are quite quickly. With it on silent, I did a screen grab for my own purposes, and then I made myself this physical book from the screen grab. So it's got. Oops, sorry. It's just one sheet of A4. It's got the participants' faces on it, and then if you fold it, this particular kind of book, um, if you fold it up, it makes a uh, a nice book. I mean, it really works like a book. It flows like a book in terms of pages. Oh yeah, there's. Uh, oh yeah, there's you. And I just stuck some words from from the Guardian, just because they were they were lying around. The words have nothing to do with it, but it says things like, "I would like my wings." Or just penned powers, an entire first hint of. And I just like the randomness and the sort of weirdness of it. But So, this is just a book made out of one sheet of A4 to try to physicalize what was too digital. These were people doing a course uh, online, and there's, you know, the cover is made out of an old tea packet of lavender tea. Right. This is all. This is all wheat paste. This couldn't be more analogue. It's homemade glue where you get the wheat paste and boiling water and mix it up, and that's how I made that. So it worked? Very much so. It it worked for, uh, I think, at least two reasons. One was this sort of superficially the reason was to remember people's names better. I think actually it was also a a kind of – mental health hygiene thing, which is that I was just overwhelmed with being online all the time. And I just needed to do something with my hands and just be a bit more grounded. So making the book was probably a bit of an excuse rather than a real urgent need to remember everyone's name. But I I have become increasingly fine tuned to how I'm feeling and knowing when I'm feeling really scattered and I've just got to do something about it. Just applying my, my mind to the physical universe
1: and what's striking me in that is you're actively choosing your medium and choosing whether something should be digital or physical based on how it makes you feel. And it's not a one size fits all. And it's, it's not just the default setting or what you were given, which is a Zoom call basically. But you've turned the Zoom call into something quite different. So another thing that I know you do is write in a, in a physical notebook. And obviously, you're an excellent company.
0: I do it. I I I really, really threw myself back into it, absolutely enormously and wholeheartedly, a year and a half ago. But I have always done it. But this was a really full-on thing because in 20, which year are we talking about? 2019 to 20. In the course of a year, I handwrote 96,000 words, and that's quite a lot of words. That I mean, that is quite a lot of words. When I was researching this book that you kindly mentioned about making speeches, I thought I'm going to go through all the books that I know, love, care about that are even remotely related to this and check out all of the things that I've underlined. And I did that. And then I just got so into it. I just thought this is such fun to handwrite what other people are writing. So I started to do it with books I'd never read before. And I thought this is great. And I've sort of, I I own it. I've owned it. I now own those words because they're in my head and I've Applied my hand to them. There's also something delightful about handwriting, which is you can't help but embody something. If you're writing something tragic, you feel it in your hand. The way your hand dances over the page is tragic. If it's delightful, you feel that too, in a way that you can't if you're typing, because the, the mechanics of the typing are exactly the same. You're just moving your finger from one button mm. to
1: another. I know there's a lot of research suggesting that learning and memory are amplified when writing things down compared to typing. Yes. And I guess it's also a distraction-free space. More and more writing apps and tools online are giving you the option of not having any distractions. So <laughs> they're trying to recreate yeah. that,
0: yeah, that, exactly.
1: that yeah. physical notebook.
0: Exactly.
1: I, I do a lot of um, hand typing. <laughs> Have you heard of that?
0: No.
1: <laughs> Say I've read something interesting and I want to yeah. put it into my Evernote. or uh,
0: yeah,
1: I can just copy and paste it or I can type it all out. Oh, great. So, sometimes i'll just type out a whole paragraph or a whole page whole article similar to what you just described it just slows down the pace of of the whole process and yeah. gives me time to internalize it
0: shall i show you something that i wrote down yesterday
1: oh yeah the digital habit lab great good segue <laughs> into the next question <laughs> So, um, so yeah, you've seen our habit cards in Mind Over Tech. We've created a series of uh, digital habit cards which encourage observation, reflection, and experimentation. So, yes. really, that's what they are—they're cards for experimentation. And that's one of the principles and ethos of the of the cards is is not to dictate, but to to say, well, oh, you could try this, and there's only one way of knowing if it's going to work for you. So, what I wanted to ask you is. Which one would you choose to experiment with, say, this week, and why?
0: Oh, that's such a good idea because, as you know, I wrote them all down by hand just because I wanted to savour the the pleasure of each idea. So I copied down everything, and I found this interesting thing happening in my brain. One was that I was giving myself gold stars for the ones that I have tried, and then I was also thinking oh no but why haven't i done that so giving myself a bit of a whacking with a stick and then finding myself justifying myself like i did try wearing a wristwatch but the battery had died and i can't get it placed easily so sort of excusing myself so those those are all just really interesting just the very fact of of doing that um Mm -hmm. And then thinking, oh, yeah, I do that one, but so-and-so doesn't do it. (laughs) I'm talking about someone in my house. And uh, so that was interesting. So there's a lot of suddenly this kind of, I don't know what it is, but there's something about even this gentle invitation brings out a a kind of a blame and praise culture and slightly competition. That was weird. So I just Mm. noticed it myself. It wasn't inherent in the cards. It's just me. One of them was see yourself in others. And that's not quite the same as me looking at people in the house and going, yeah, they're not doing it right. That's not the same. Um, But I I really, so which one do I want to try? Um, Avoid inbox till afternoon is really tempting. No, no, schedule email sessions. I remember it was one of those people who's got one of those enormous blogs, the, the four day work week, the four hour work week guy. Anyway him i think he does he sort of checks email for about 10 minutes on a tuesday and then four minutes on a thursday and that's it if you don't if he doesn't support yours then goodbye and i've always huh. thought well that's quite bold but i don't think i could do that but i could schedule email sessions and say i'm not going to do any email until such and such time so maybe i'll do that
1: yeah one of the good things about that is you're batching together similar tasks yeah, You're in a certain mode, certain mindset when you're reading and replying to emails. Yes. And so it's more efficient to do them all in one go. But also I think it's a lot about setting expectations, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, having the boldness to put something like that in your email signature to yeah. say that you only check your email twice a day. Yeah. There's this idea that email, but also most digital things are a bit like using a slot machine in a casino. And the reason that is, is the randomness. Mm. Sometimes you do win and sometimes you don't. And yeah. the near misses are really attractive and they are what inspire us to right. keep going. So, yes. So sometimes I get a really interesting email from a friend and, and other times it's just hate mail from HMRC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all, mostly it's nothing. And so it's just that variability in the randomness. And so having a set time when I'm going to be doing it takes away a lot from that mechanism
0: and is that good you're pleased with that
1: I'm very pleased with that yeah I slip because I have my email on my phone and there was a time when I took it off my phone which which made it easier for me to do this right kind of schedule times uh, but then when I've got a lot going on I put the app back on my phone
0: <laughs> this is a totally mind-blowing concept you deleted the email from your phone
1: yeah yeah so I do that with quite a few things on my phone i go through a phase where I delete them off my phone. So I went through a a phase of only using Instagram on the computer. Different devices for different things.
0: Can I do that as well as my email thing? I remember there's one (laughs) of the other cards, and I can't remember. My eye didn't find it, but the one about basically delete all the apps off your home screen.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I don't have any apps on my home screen. Um, But that's because when I go onto my phone, I want to have a moment of trying to decide what I want to do next. And when I've got apps in my face, especially if they've got little notifications, I just can't, it's irresistible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Do you have no apps at all on your phone or do you have a clever way of having apps? There's
1: two ways. One is if you've got an Android phone, then it's different because you can just flick up and then you've got all your apps there. But if you have a iPhone, then you can't do that. But what you can do is put them all into one folder. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like a like a junk drawer, like you yes, know everything's in there. You then have that moment of pause before you go into that folder and you trying to decide what you're going into that folder for, which app right. you're going in there for.
0: Oh, I'm gonna try that. That's brilliant. I need some reassurance here. If I delete mail off my phone, will life end?
1: Yes. Yeah, oh. yeah. 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 You'll lose friends, you'll lose colleagues, invitations to all kinds of Because you haven't replied quickly enough.
0: Okay. Well, you you have not entirely reassured me. (laughs) Thanks very much for being honest.
1: No, no. That's not what happens at all. (laughs) Try it and see, I guess.
0: Yeah. Brilliant.
1: We actually have a course on the Mind Over Tech Academy, which is all about that. It's called Reducing Time Spent in Email. And I think you really like it. Uh, So I'll send you the link for it and you could have a listen. So good luck with that. And then finally where can people learn more about you follow you connect with you
0: i'm on twitter and instagram as at jp flintoff and my website has a lot of material amassed there over 20 years and um, it's just going through a bit of an overhaul with the art so that will be on there soon as well and it's flintoff.org
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, JP, for sharing your practices and insights. We're all experimenting in our digital lives all the time, but hearing you talk helps give me and others a fresh perspective, and that's really helpful. Appreciate it.
0: Very happy to have been asked, thank you.
1: After we spoke, JP did a really interesting exercise with his phone home screen. He went through all his apps, reflecting on how he uses each one, what's working and what isn't. If you want to give that a go yourself, you can read exactly what he did. We've included the details in the show notes for this episode, along with links to the specific apps and tools that JP mentioned in our conversation. So head over to mindovertech.com to find these. A big thank you to JP for everything he shared with us, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app because it really helps people to find us. Finally, we have a great newsletter which you might find useful. So feel free to sign up. It's full of ideas and inspiration and practical tips too for experimenting with your digital habits. I hope you can join us again next time. Bye for now.